You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Megan Landris, of Student Loan Planner to discuss your student loans and how you can shift from being six figures in debt to having a six-figure net worth. Doesn't that sound great? So welcome, Megan. We're so excited to have you as a guest on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast and to discuss this topic, uh, which is so important to many women lawyers today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, it is a, a big topic. It's oftentimes one of the bigger stressors in someone's financial life and you know, it's a it's a big problem these days. Lots of people are talking about it, so I'm, I'm excited right. to hear right. out. <laughs> yeah, and I know it's a bit. I know it's a huge problem among women lawyers. I'm in a lot of women lawyer groups on social media, and it's a it is a topic of discussion that comes up quite frequently because it really prevents a lot of people from creating the wealth that they desire because they're burdened with these loans. And uh, I know that. Some people have told stories of, of paying, they've paid huge amounts of money and they owe more than they did when they first started paying them. So I'm really eager to dive in and find out the solutions that you guys have come up with to help people in this position. Um, but before we do that, I want everybody to get to know a little bit about you. So tell us about you and your journey to doing this kind of work. Yeah. So I, um, I was always, well, I'll say always since maybe high school, I was always a little bit of a finance nerd. Um, I started mm-hmm. doing bookkeeping at a gym facility I worked at in high school and continued to do that through college. And so that that drove me to study finance. Um, and so I, I first started my career working at a personal financial planning firm. And I actually, you know, our firm specialized in working with uh, practicing professionals. And I was on the attorney team, I guess you could say, <laughs> where we, right. we specifically worked with attorneys. And so, you know, from that side of things, you know, we were doing comprehensive financial planning for uh, attorneys and in Georgia. I live in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a problem we consistently ran into was with these, you know, highly educated individuals, there came a lot of student loan debt typically. And right. In our world at the time, it was just, okay, it's a debt. Let's find out the best way to pay it down aggressively. Let's look at refinancing. And I continued to just, you know, be surprised, I guess you could say, with just the amounts of debt we were starting to see. You know, these were Mm -hmm. starting to become mortgage-sized balances. (laughs) And I was thinking, Mm -hmm. there's got to be a better way than, you know, just paying this off like our hair's on fire. And so I started diving in a lot deeper into the federal system of student loans, private student loans. And I found that there was a lot you can leverage. You know, the federal system is very, uh, I'll say complicated, but Mm -hmm. we can find ways to leverage it in someone's favor. And so I um, actually went out on my own after working at that firm for about three or four years and ran into Travis the founder of Student Loan Planner. And um, my passion for helping people with student loans and his passion uh, drove me to want to join his team. And when he asked, I immediately said yes. (laughs) So now I'm 
uh, consulting with him and student loan planner, helping people navigate all types of student loan situations, all types of balances, all types of backgrounds. And so that's that's where I'm at, or that's how I got to where I am here. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so let's let's talk about these balances. What kinds of balances are you seeing on average? Because I know in my discussion with women law firm owners, it, six figures is the norm. Uh, the I've kind of it, probably an average around 250 um, is very mm -hmm. common. And people often, like I said, will pay that. And then they'll, years later, they'll be paying it. And if years later, it'll be 300. I mean, because of the way interest mm -hmm. rates are set up. And uh, probably the most I've heard is about 600,000. So mm -hmm. what kind mm -hmm. of numbers are you seeing? Yeah, I would say average for uh, our student loan planner cases, we've, we've seen about 226. Uh, average, mm -hmm. but I have worked with folks with 300, 400, 500,000. Mm -hmm. um, if they're married to an attorney, then we're, we're getting close to a million potentially. So, mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the real kicker too, is that when people get married, become a couple, and then they combine their student loan debt, mm -hmm. it's really, you really get into some high numbers then half a million to a million mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, it's very, and you know, highly educated individuals, they require, you know, they're going through graduate programs, which are not inexpensive. And, you know, many years of schooling post undergrad is just, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see the, the rise of the cost of attendance and how fast, you know, it, it's the cost of attendance has outpaced inflation. It's outpaced mm -hmm. um, the the increase of earning wages, and so it's just it's tough to keep up. And so the federal system, you know, having federal student loans and being able to leverage some of the uh, income driven plans and forgiveness opportunities does become people's safe haven because it, mm -hmm. it almost becomes you know uh, impossible. I won't I won't say impossible, but it, it almost comes really hard to imagine trying to pay off a balance um, in those ranges with maybe an income that's not quite there or it's, it's a fraction of that balance, you know? Right. So. Right. And that's a huge, that's a huge factor as well is that I think when people, the thinking when people take on this kind of debt is, uh, yes, I'm going to get into some debt and I'm also going to get a six figure job right when I get out of law school, you know, would be <laughs> an example from the lawyer. Uh, arena, you know, I'm going to get a six-figure job and I'll easily be able to pay this off. And of course, they're not really sitting and doing the math and calculating what the interest rate is going to do. And and also they're not taking to, into account that a lot of times when you graduate from law school, you don't get a six-figure job. You may start out making $50,000 a year, $60,000 a year, depending on where you are. I mean, only the top, mm -hmm. only the top 5% of the class get the premium jobs paying yeah. the higher weight, you know, and so that leaves 95% of us having to come up with a different plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, what's interesting too about student loan planning is, uh, I know we're talking about balances and the, the scariness of those right now, but really when we're starting to look at how to plan around student loan debt, it does come down to what the balance to income ratio is or the income to balance ratio is. 
Um, mm-hmm. That helps direct the plan. And so what's so great about, I think, the federal system and the income-driven options is, you know, if you do, you know, uh, graduate and you're making 50000 80000 but you've got 300000 of student loan debt, you're not going to be underwater. We're, we're going to have access to an income-driven option, which keeps our payment proportionate to income as we go on. And each one of those income-driven plans has some kind of forgiveness opportunity, which means Mm -hmm. after 20 or 25 years, whatever balance is left over is unforgiven, which I know 20 and 25 years still sounds like a long time, but we have a $300,000 balance or a mortgage-sized balance, you know, to pay it off in normal time, you know, 20 or 25 years, we're probably looking at that time frame anyways, if we were Mm -hmm. even going to pay it off. So. Um, that's, that's oftentimes what we're strategizing with folks is, you know, do we need to be treating this debt as a debt and paying it off as soon as possible and maybe looking at refinancing or do we need to be treating this more like a tax and pursuing that, that forgiveness route over time? Um, and then at that point, our mindset totally switches. We're not treating it like a debt. We want to pay as little as possible to maximize Mm -hmm. how much we can get forgiven Oftentimes that, you know, when someone's income is much lower than their balance, that is going to be the most efficient route over time. And it allows them to also save and and do other things with their finances or or focus on other financial priorities, which is huge, you know. Right. That's and that's something that it it, first of all, it flips on flips on its head. You know, this the standard thinking from folks that like the. Dave Ramsey's of the world and the Susie Ormas of the world that you need to pay off that student debt loan as soon as possible. It's your highest priority. And mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, I've talked with my clients about and kind of my philosophy on that is, is that what I find is people get so caught up in paying off debt that they don't do any sort of saving or investing and, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and happy. And that's really what creates is that it, that's what creates wealth is that accumulation of assets over time and the compounded interest and the earnings that you get back from that and 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 but if you have this debt driven like i'm just going to pay off all my debt before i make any before i save anything before i invest anything you'll find yourself 20 30 years later with nothing to show for it and and you'll probably continue to always be in debt because you haven't been able to accumulate any money or any wealth so yeah you mm-hmm. you'll just borrow more from something else you know yeah well and i say you- yeah and and to your point that that's a hundred percent accurate in my mind because i i think there always is a healthy balance between and you know i love dave ramsey's thought process about like uh behavior around debt and consumer debt and you mm-hmm. know living below your means. I love that. But when it comes to student loans, I just, I cringe every time I hear him say, you know, don't rely on forgiveness. Don't rely on these strategies. You know, <laughs> yeah, I just feel like it does so much more damage than it, than it helps people because, you know, just like you said, if we've got these big balances and we're taking, you know, 15, 20 years to pay them off, you know, pay them all off aggressively, then, we will be student loan debt free at some point, but we're still going to have a $0 net worth. And so we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot a couple times because we lost out on all that time in the market 
And it probably wasn't even the more efficient repayment plan at the end of the day. <laughs> they probably right. paid more than you needed to. <laughs> so Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that is really interesting. And um I, I'm sure you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki and the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and his philosophy and the way he teaches. And one of the things he talks about when, when it comes to wealth is um investing, like creating assets. So mm -hmm. the more assets you create, then the more the the quicker you'll get wealthier. And uh, of course, he's he's a very wealthy man, and he talks about leveraging other people's money. And mm -hmm. and he also says, and this is very controversial, that the last thing he's paying is the government. <laughs> you know, like the last thing the last thing you and that's what student loans are. If you're borrowing, if you have government student loans, you know, student loans from the government, and so it's a very interesting, just a very different perspective than what most of us who grow up in the middle class and you work hard, you borrow money to go to school, you get an education and, and then you're going to get a better paying job and you're going to pay off the debt and then you'll be able to buy the house and have the 2.5 kids and all that kind of stuff. And we, we just really don't live in that kind of America anymore. I don't know if mm -hmm. we ever did, but we certainly don't now. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, I think his concept, too, is more of a mathematical approach to uh, finance in general. Like, I think it does make sense to leverage other people's money in certain circumstances. But I think the problem with maybe our society is um, we have to have the behavior behind that as well to not mm -hmm. dig ourselves too deep or not bite off more than we can chew or not, you know, let uh, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, affect that strategy. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm all for, you know, leveraging our student loan debt and in, in the sense that we can pay, you know, what we need to pay, we can have a, an efficient repayment plan, but let's find a balance. Um, I think a balance between saving and paying down debt is always worth talking about because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, your savings rate is going to be the most important thing when it comes to your financial independence is the only mm -hmm. thing that's going to get you to financial independence. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Um, so I, mm -hmm. I, 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 that bears repeating, your savings rate is the only thing that's going to get you to financial independence, the amount of money that you manage to hang on to and accumulate. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me the biggest challenge you see the clients of student loan planner face when they come to you? Like, what do you think when they come to you, where are, what, what, what is, what is life like for them at that moment? Yeah. I, I feel like with student loan planner, you know, the typical client will have, has done some research. They've gotten a little overwhelmed with their options because within the federal system, there's four different income driven plans. There's a bunch of different talk about forgiveness and, you know, what happens if you're married on this plan? Does it count my spouse's income or not? So there's just a lot of questions and I think it's hard to sift through. And so I feel like the folks that come to us have done a little digging already. They're a little confused about a couple topics or, you know, maybe they, they feel like they have a good plan in place, but they just want someone to double check it. They want to make sure that they're not missing anything because they know that student loans are just a little bit 
of a different kind of debt or beast, I guess you should say. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. And so, um, but oftentimes the, the same, um, I guess, feeling behind scheduling that call is similar. There's some stress, there's some uh, uncertainty behind mm-hmm. uh, their strategy and if they're doing the right thing. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll come to us, we'll go through a consultation to walk through their specific situation and based on their income, their future income trajectory and some other financial circumstances in their life, you know, we walk through all the different routes that they could take with their student loan plan and stack them up against each other to review Mm -hmm. what the most optimal plan would be. And um, in addition to that, we'll talk through savings rate. And, you know, this is the plan that looks to be optimal. Let's talk about how we incorporate our savings rate into this plan as well. And we'll project out, you know, this is what it would look like if we continued to stay the course on this plan. And if we were consistent with saving, you know, this amount of money per month or per year, however we want to look at it. Mm-hmm. And then we can compare that again, too, to any other route to take. And so from typically ending, you know, that that planning call, um, you know, I, I always feel like the the stress and anxiety around their situation is, is relieved and they feel more confident about um, their situation and, and more confident about the direction of, of how to take their, their student loan plan and how to think about it going forward too. I think it is such a, I think our society has kind of made debt such a taboo topic to talk about and it's a bad thing and people should feel bad for having debt. And that's not the case. We want to kind of reframe the mindset there to to explain that this is not something you're trapped with. We we're not out of options. We have options to pursue that are really going to help us and not just our student loan plan, but also the rest of our finances. Right. Mm-hmm. I I know that I have heard stories of a number of uh, people who they just are so overwhelmed by their student loan debt and they feel like they can't get ahead in life. And so they just stop paying altogether and they, mm-hmm. and until, you know, like they want to buy a house or something and then they start jumping through hoops to try to repair the situation at that point. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say to, to somebody who just says, screw it, I'm not paying these anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what are the consequences uh, I- of that? Yeah. So um, uh, two separate sides of that road. So with federal student loans, um, I think the consequences are a little more severe because they federal loans are not going to go away. Mm-hmm. They will, you know, they can go into default. They'll be sold to a collections company. They'll continue to try to collect. But the federal government has extremely strong collections powers. Um, so they can garnish your wages. They can garnish your tax returns if you're not paying on these federal loans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll say it, it is, you know, difficult to maybe not have a good plan or not have a good option available to you now with mm-hmm. the income-driven options. So there's always a way to figure out your next step. But um, that's on the federal side. That's typically what will happen there. And it, it is you can get yourself out of default by either going through a loan rehab program where you have to make on-time payments for nine months and then they remove the collection status uh, from your credit report and they, mm-hmm. or sorry, the default status and you're back in good standing. So that's maybe the longer route. 
another mm-hmm. route would be to consolidate out of default, and that quickly pulls the loans out of default back into good standing. Um, or you can pay the balance off in full. That's the other option that they give you. So usually not the option someone can do. Yeah. I wonder how many people Um, have ever taken that option. (laughs) Uh, Right. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, as I say, the private side is a little different. Private companies um, do not have those strong authorities or powers to garnish wages or anything like that, but they will potentially be more a little more aggressive on suing you for the balance um, if it's within their statute of limitations to do so. And so sometimes, and actually we just had a case, uh, I think last week, and I want to say it was Colorado where uh, someone got, um, you know, six figures of student loan debt discharged in bankruptcy. Um, Private loans are not, um, our private loans, I guess you, you should say are more eligible for bankruptcy or a successful mm-hmm. discharge in bankruptcy than maybe federal loans again, because federal loans have access to income driven plans, but private loans don't private loans. It's a private debt. You have to pay it all off. There's no forgiveness opportunity. Um, and so, you know, it, it is a little easier to have that settled in bankruptcy because you can potentially prove uh, undue hardship where, Mm -hmm. you know, based on how much you're required to pay the balance, you know, you're just not able to financially support yourself and pay that balance off. And so Mm -hmm. um, we did see somebody get significant, a a significant private balance discharged in bankruptcy um, last week, which could be interesting. I think that could be setting the tone for, I think the original misconception about bankruptcy and student loans was that it was impossible to discharge student loans. And it's still pretty darn hard to do so with federal loans, but private loans, there's a little more room there, I would say. Yeah. An attorney colleague of mine uh, used to say that you, you basically have to be in an iron lung to be able to discharge your student loans in bankruptcy. But I think that that's Mm -hmm. changed. Uh, over the recent years because because of this sort of tsunami of student loan debt that Americans are facing. And mm-hmm. so I think that's something that's kind of new that we're seeing in bankruptcy. And like you said, it really only can work for private loans, um, mm-hmm. not government loans. Uh, mm-hmm. What, tell me about, I'm really intrigued by this, six figures in debt to six figures of net worth. Tell Mm -hmm. me how you guys help your clients make that transformation. Yeah, I I think it does come down to first just getting over that big hurdle of what's my plan? You know, what Mm -hmm. should I be focusing on? And so, you know, once we know if we're going to treat the student loans like a debt, and, and typically that's the case when someone's balance is below their annual income, that's typically when we need to be paying it off sooner rather than later. Um, but when someone's balance is much greater than their annual income and will be for a period of time or for the probably the life of the loan, um, that's when we need to be focusing on the forgiveness route or the longer term forgiveness route. Um, and so once we navigate that, once we have that in place, that tells us, okay, well, we know exactly how much we'll, well, 
close to exactly. We have an idea of how much we'll be paying per month if we're on an income-driven plan based off of your income trajectory. Or we know exactly how much you'll be paying if you were to treat it like a debt and commit to paying X amount per month. But then we, we really do dive into your savings rate. And um, you know, part of our little calculator that you can actually download this on our website if you wanted to play around with this, but um, it's called our net worth calculator that we'll take our clients through um, and that you can take yourself through on this uh, last, last page of the Excel document from our website. But um, we, we plug in you know, how much of our income is going to be going towards our student loan plan. You know, is it 7%, 8%? What is that number? And then we'll want to look at, okay, how much can we start committing to savings? You know, how much are we already saving? A lot of times folks are already con contributing to the match if their employer offers one or they're already contributing maybe 5% or 10% of their income or something towards uh, assets in some degree. And so we'll, we'll add those together. We'll look at, hey, what does financial independence look like for you? How, how long or, or how much income would you need to be living off of in the future? And um, we walk through, you know, what that's going to look like over time if we continue to pay the loans in that same capacity, you know, maybe 8% going to our loans, and we're still able to save 10% of our income uh, towards our future, our future financial independence. And, mm -hmm. um, we walk them through what that's going to look like long-term. And if they don't like that financial independence number, you know, the, if it takes 47 years to get there, <laughs> you know, yeah. then yeah. Maybe, maybe we need to increase our savings rate. And so we really start to hone in on, you know, what the appropriate savings rate is going to be for this person to, to help them achieve their financial independence when, when they want to be financially independent. And that's different for everybody. And that's, you know, um, part of planning. That's something that we want to paint a target out there for and mm -hmm. continue to work towards it. But it, it starts with a really healthy savings rate. And uh, we talk about general rules of thumb, you know, a golden savings parameter uh, towards assets would be anywhere between 10 and 20% of your gross income or more going towards savings for long-term uh, financial independence. And so, we just have those conversations. We we layer in the student loan plan to make sure that they know how each impact each other, and how together you know the plan and our savings rate is going to help us uh, get to where we want to go. And and that that really starts to change the mind frame from oh I have to focus on this debt or oh I need to throw every single penny towards this to hey I have a, a really great balanced approach. I've got an efficient student loan plan. I know what to expect there. And I know that I need to prioritize savings now. And so it is kind of just a mind frame switch too. Um, right. Once we have those numbers and that plan idea. One of the, uh, see, I, I love that philosophy of, of shifting and, and instead of this mindset of, a, I have to pay off all my debt before I can start saving or investing. And let, but let's talk about, how where you save how you save i mean what what do you do because i think a lot of i think uh, a lot of people are scared of investing because they don't understand it and mm -hmm. also you know we're always reading anytime you read a financial planner's book they're they're doing calculations and they're going so if you make 
8% on your, you know, return on your investment or 10% or 12%. And then when you actually start looking, you're like, okay, well, this CD pays 1% and I put it in the <laughs> stock market, I'm going to lose money, you know, because I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, so I think that's where a lot of, a lot of fear comes in from people, you know, they can save the money, but then when it comes to investing it, we read these pie in the sky sort of returns. And I think we think to ourselves that we're expecting the return, you know, month after month. And really a lot of times the returns are like over the life of the amount of money, you know, mm -hmm. an mm -hmm. average return, maybe. What do you, what do you, what kind of advice do you have for people in that position? <laughs> yeah. And, and that is, you know, it is an intimidating world, I guess you could say. Um, and so we, we talk about, you know, part of our process is we talk about just the simplicity of getting our savings rate up. Um, when it comes to vehicles, you know, if that's something that someone feels uncomfortable managing themselves, because you can go, you can open an IRA or SEP IRA or, you know, um, an investment mm -hmm. account, brokerage account with, with any custodian. There's plenty of companies out there that you could just open an account with and choose your investments. I think that's where a lot of people get intimidated. They don't know what to invest in. And mm -hmm. so if that's something that makes you uncomfortable, I, I typically do suggest, hey, you should maybe be entertaining working with a professional here. You know, um, I sometimes use the, the analogy that, you know, an attorney, uh, well, and this might not even translate into what I was saying, but, you know, an attorney won't be representing themselves in court, I, I would mm -hmm. say, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I'll say, you know, for me, being a financial advisor, I, I I want someone to help me too, you know, with my investment choices because behavior really factors into investing in any anything finance. And so it's mm -hmm. always help uh, helpful to I think incorporate a professional that takes the emotion out of it, helps you achieve your goals. If you're very risk adverse, you know, that's something that they're going to take into account. Um, but I think, you know, if you're uncomfortable doing it yourself, finding a professional, an investment advisor, or we, we recommend a, working with a CFP or a certified financial planner, mm -hmm. um, which has that fiduciary obligation to each and every client that they work with um, to make sure that, you know, their best interests align with, with yours and they are doing everything they can to, to help you achieve your financial goals. Um, you know, we, that's what we typically recommend is, you mm -hmm. know, um, work with someone that you trust uh, to if, if it's investing the money specifically or just educating you on your options so you can go and do that on your own. Um, I think that starts to start the conversation to get that topic to be less scary. Um, and it starts just the education process, too. And um, I think that could be helpful. Right, right. What's the best way to go about finding uh, a certified financial planner? Because I think I think there can be some confusion with people too. Um, a lot of people call themselves financial advisors who may mm -hmm. be selling a product. So they, mm -hmm. uh, the biggest example that comes to mind is uh, insurance policies, whole life insurance policies, and mm -hmm. their their job is to sell whole life insurance policies. And, mm -hmm. and they hold themselves out as financial advisors, but really they're salespeople. So yep. finding somebody who is not trying to sell you a particular product, but is helping you 
find what works best for you. What's the best way to go about finding somebody? Yeah, we we typically recommend to go to XY Planning Network. Um, so it's just the letters XY Planning Network. Um, this planning network is a group of CFPs or certified financial planners that are fee-only advisors. And so what this means is they receive no commissions uh, at any any uh, any avenue um, for any products or strategies that they recommend. And so you can feel, uh, I think, confident in knowing that there is no additional incentive behind what they're recommending to you. So, um, you know, a CFP will certainly take you through a full comprehensive financial plan, looking at every area of your finances. And then mm-hmm. they will make recommendations on, you know, I think you should be investing here. Let's open an account here. Let's, um, you know, invest in this fund. You know, working with a fee-only CFP could um, uh, just really alleviate that thought that, um, why are they recommending this company? Or why are they recommending this product specifically? It really alleviates that because they don't get paid at all off of um, any strategy or product that they recommend, they're, they're paid only by the fee that they charge you for their service. And so I, I recommend that, that site to find a CFP in your area. You can search by area or you can search by name. Um, and that, I think that's the best place to start. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. I know a lot of people will appreciate that. You, also, you guys also have a course on your website. Tell me about that course. Yeah, so we we do have um, an investment course. I think we just closed it this past month, I want to say. We opened it, I think, last month. But it does. uh, So this course will walk you through the basics of what you need to know to start investing. And so that can maybe be another resource, um, you know, once we open that back up in the future. But that really takes you through the nuts and bolts of, you know, what different accounts are, what you know, is a good rate of return, how to invest, what dollar cost averaging is. It really kind of starts to educate you on some of the basics and then some simple, simple but impactful strategies to start getting you off the ground with saving and investing. And so that that information, you can get more information on that from our, our website and our e-blast. We, we let everybody know when we're opening that back up again. But that be that could be a good resource as well for someone who might not be ready to work with someone specifically yet or entertain working with the person, but might want to get a little educated in some of these areas and then maybe later on take that route. Good, good. And that is your website is studentloanplanner.com. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So before we wrap up, tell me what what would be your best advice to give somebody who's staring down the barrel of these hefty student loans and they feel like they just can't advance in life because they have these loans what would you mm-hmm. what would you tell them the first thing they need to do or the most important mm. thing they need to do i would say the most important thing would be if you need help ask for help and if having a plan is what well, I think regardless, having a plan is going to alleviate that anxiety or that stress around your student loan situation. And it'll open up the doors for you to be able to focus on other financial priorities. So 
Um, I would say just the first two things that come to mind is ask for help when you need it. Uh, we are certainly here to help uh, if, if um, you have a student loan debt situation that you want some help or clarity around. And then just getting a plan in place, mm-hmm. having a plan and that helps you, uh, I think, ease your mind as well to know that things are on track. Right, right. Well, thanks so much for being here today and sharing today. I think you've shared a lot of valuable information and maybe uh, given people a different perspective on their student loan debt than they've had. So I thank mm-hmm. you for that. Tell us uh, tell us again how we can find Student Loan Planner and also how we can connect with you if we want to. Yeah, so uh, studentloanplanner.com is our website. Uh, if you'd like updates on just anything in the student loan world going on, you can subscribe to our newsletter. We send out a very short and sweet update once a week. And if uh, you wanted to schedule a consult, I consult specifically on Mondays and Wednesdays. And so you can take a look at you know, exactly what a consult entails, uh, what the cost is, uh, what to expect on our website as well. And if mm. you wanted to land on my calendar, um, on Mondays and Wednesdays. <laughs> oh, great, great. Well, thanks so much, Megan. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. At Wealthy Woman Lawyer, we help women law firm owners build profitable, sustainable, wealth-generating law firms without overwork or overwhelm, so you can live your best life. If you are ready to create more of what you desire most in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up now for our free training, Seven Shifts to Create a Wealth-Generating Law Firm Without Killing Yourself in the Process. Register now at WealthyWomanLawyer.com training to receive this free training immediately. And thank you for listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.